This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. So Moses and his people have finally arrived. To say that there were trials and tribulations is an understatement, would you say? (laughs) They were starving and grouchy ungrateful and at a loss for how to worship, so they made it up. They passed through the waters, and in the wake of that new genocide, Moses encountered God face to face, only to find that his people had fallen into sin in his absence, and he broke the tablets in anger. This has not been an easy journey, to say the least. Harder still, after all this toil, Moses will die here and will not be able to cross over into the promised land. And why not? The author states that his vigor has not abated. He is a mere 120 years old. And how devastating this must have been. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is a pretty impressive eulogy. And it should be, because this is the end of the Torah. This is the end of the part of the canon that we share with the Jewish faith. This is the end of an era. And as a new beginning in a new land, it seems fitting that there be a poignant moment. All change comes with grief, we know. And so we see that they stop to grieve for 30 days, as is appropriate, before they can move on. Our gospel reading for today picks up sometime past this beginning in a place when leadership And this promised land has changed hands and is fraught. Let's think about that for a moment. Leadership in the promised land is fraught. This is no longer the time of Moses' people. This gospel story takes place in the years when the Roman emperor ruled what is now Israel and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate ruled Judea. Jesus came up in a time where there were major tensions among Jews, not only over how much to cooperate with the Romans, but also about how to interpret Torah. There was displeasure with Roman policies as well as the temple high priests, and this was a time when Jewish people longed for a Messiah who would throw off the foreign occupiers and restore Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. We can see this tension in the way that Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. He asks them what they think a Messiah is, whose son the Messiah is. They believe that when this Messiah arrives, that they will witness a resurrection of all the dead, an in-gathering of all Jews, including the ten lost tribes in the land of Israel, a final judgment, and a universal peace. 
They're not seeing that. And so they're just not picking up what Jesus is putting down. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is Jewish. He is not beginning Christianity here. It's also important that we understand that Pharisees and Sadducees are movements or sects of Judaism that time that of that time and that tension you see here has come about because they have different political opinions and because they have different opinions about how to interpret and apply Torah to their lives and their worship. That's something we can relate to as Christians now, right? A difference in the way we interpret. It's also something we see in the Holy Land in this moment. What we're seeing here in the gospel, though, is where these sects begin to diverge into different paths. Early Christians who accept Jesus as their Messiah will begin to believe and worship in new ways. And the Jews who still believe they're waiting for a Messiah will continue on as they have been, navigating the tension of Torah and politics. We cannot forget that we come from this same one desire. This same belief that a Messiah would be of the line of David and would bring peace and unity to all the world. Even as we see Jesus sowing discord and pushing back, we can hold that they are of one faith at that time and looking forward to a new life ushered in by a Messiah. As Jesus has begun to step into a dialogue in his ministry, whereby he speaks the truth of who he is, he's also increased the danger to his own life and has begun to draw curiosity and judgment and ire. In this particular moment, they're testing him and his ideology by saying, what's the greatest commandment? To which he replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And there's another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He does not give just one important commandment. He gives two, and they both speak volumes for his ministry and the love and mercy that he has for his people. This is the focus we take as Christians and as Jews. This is the desire that we hold as a combined and inherited people, this love we have for God and for one another. So let us hold to that unity as I push a little deeper into the gospel. On these two commandments hang all the laws and prophets, he says. The law and prophets, this is Mosaic law. It is of Moses, of Torah. For Christians, there is more to the story. This doesn't make us better. It simply gives us something more to draw from. As Christians, we have the law and prophets of the Torah, and we have the gospel. What we have in the gospel more specifically is the word, the logos, Christ Jesus, And this is crucial for us because loving our neighbor as ourselves is hard. It is, in fact, so hard that we do not succeed at it very often. As such, we are not loving and trusting God to the best of our ability by turning our anger and judgment and fear over and giving into love. 
And why would we? Jesus. We would turn it over because we are tied to the love of God. Yoked there by the glory and love of Christ forever. It is in the mysticism of our Messiah being more than just the son of David. It is in him being the son of man, the king of kings, the God of gods, that we become something other than human and flawed. The law, the lineage, the concrete reasons are great, but this Messiah will blow your mind. Enough to silence Sadducees and Pharisees. Enough for us to rise to new life. So don't underestimate this mysticism. If you're looking for the proof in the pudding, you might be missing the pudding altogether. Following the law and the prophets along with the gospel sets us apart as a Christian people. This way of love has changed us forever, and it is no small thing. You see, we don't simply sprinkle the love on top of what we're doing. Like it's icing on the cake. Because it actually is the cake. When we step into this way of love, it changes everything for us. When we, are call, when we call upon the Spirit and become one as Christ's body here at the altar, we usher in a holy moment. One that surpasses any grief or pain or fear that we might hold. Paul speaks of this today in the epistle reading when he says to the Thessalonians that he struggled mightily in Philippi, was shamed in Philippi, but he came for them anyway. So deeply do we care for you, he says, that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. He is telling them to bank on it, this love. He risked it all to be with them. What he felt there in Christ's community, what they feel in Christ's community there was real, and it was sincere, and he was acknowledging that with them. Siblings in Christ, what you feel in this room right now is also real. The love in this room is real, and do not doubt it when you leave here. The world out there is full of pain. It's full of people determined to hang on the law. Of people who are afraid that books will allow for thought that will change the very fabric of our society. Of people who are concerned that gender-affirming care will physically hurt children who may not yet be sure of who they really are. Of people who value the holy land over the lives of innocent children. The world is full of people who, as of yet, do not see racism as a sin. Of people who wield weapons in anger rather than seeking reconciliation. We are a people who listen deeply. Who love freely and who care incessantly. Keep loving like Paul. Like Jesus like your very life depends on it. Love like Jesus, even though it's lofty 
and unachievable and know that when you fail to do so, because my God, our neighbors are so very human, know that for us, the gospel follows the law and ushers in a way of love that is so vast and so deep that it will confound the most powerful among us. Go beyond what you see and hear as evidence of a grounded and pain-filled life. Call in the Spirit. Usher in the love and the life that you have chosen to believe in and return here. For your own, return here from your own life's desert week after week, parched if you have to. Return here to remember who you are in Christ and let us nourish you with the body and the bread of life that you may remember that Jesus is the word and that you are his disciples sent here to love and to preach and to carry God into the world. Amen. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.